Hey there, and welcome back to Holding Space Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Cassidy, and I'm so glad you're tuning in to today's episode. In this episode, we are diving into the world of sex and intimacy after baby. I invited two fellow licensed marriage and family therapists, Jennifer and Emily, onto the podcast. They are the co-hosts of the Shrink Chicks podcast and founders of The Therapy Group. So in this episode, you are getting to tune in to three couples therapists diving in to explore why sex and libido and intimacy can be so challenging postpartum and after baby and ways for you and your partner to find each other again and reclaim that intimate connection with each other. We talk about libido and body image and painful sex. We talk about ways in which you can begin to rediscover yourself as a sexual human being after baby. I am so glad you are here tuning in right now. So let's jump in. You're listening to Holding Space Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Cassidy Freitas. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, mom to three, and I support mamas just like you who want a supported, loving, and rested postpartum so that you can flourish in that first year with baby. In this podcast, I'm sharing my conversations with perinatal experts from around the world and with parents who've been through it. While I hope that this podcast is supportive to you, it is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed health provider. I'm so glad you're here. Let's dive in. Hello, Shrink Chicks. Thank you so much for joining me today on Holding Space Podcast. Em and Jen, I'm so excited to dive into this topic, especially with the two of you. But before we dive in, can you share a little bit about your background and what you're passionate about? And then we can dive into intimacy and sex after baby. Um, Absolutely. First of all, thank you for having us. We're so so excited and so excited to you have such a great community. Cassidy, like you truly do. You have like such a great community. So we're super excited to be here today with you and to share with your whole community. Um, and my name is Emily Beerley. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. MFT is our favorite. And we're sex therapists. Um, and Jen and I own the therapy group. We have locations um, in Philadelphia, Westchester, Pennsylvania. We have clinicians from all over the place. Um, and yeah, we love this work. We love people. We love having people grow. And we specifically love women and talking about how do you be your authentic selves? And also how does that include pleasure as someone who is, um, Mm. had a very long journey with pleasure myself when it came to postpartum. We're so excited to talk about this. Uh, It is such an important topic and one that unfortunately still can have so much shame and stigma just swimming all around it. So I am so excited today to break through some of that stigma and put the shame aside so we can just have the conversation because that's where we have to start, right? Before we can dive like full, full full-fledged into the deep end, we got to first start talking about it. And Gosh, when it comes to sex and intimacy after baby, I mean, this is probably one of the subjects that whenever I open like a question box on Instagram and I'm like, ask me anything, it's like 
rolling in the questions about sex and I think after baby and I think part of it is because there's a little bit of you know it's a little it's anonymous and so there's a little bit more safety in putting that question there and maybe even safer than it would be or feel safer than it would be to ask your doctor or your OBGYN or to talk to a friend about it or gosh even your partner sometimes and so it feels a little safer to ask like a random therapist on Instagram that it may, you know, answer your question anonymously. Gosh, you know, I mean, that I think that just speaks volumes right there. So I'm so excited to dive into this with the both of you. And let's, let's just get right straight to it. So sex after baby, why, why is this such a big pain point for so many new moms, postpartum parents and couples? Well, I think in general, because it starts even before that, as you know, specifically in the United States, we don't have good sex education. We're not actually having a ton of conversations about pleasure-focused sex. We're not having a ton of conversations about how to talk about sex with your partner. So typically, there's always like a little bit of tension in a lot of couples before having a kid. And then it's one of those things where it's like, oh, well, that'll get better over time. Or that's like these unconscious contracts. Like that'll work out and things will be okay. And then let's add in a child. And that changes all of it. So most of us have a little bit of discrepancy in libido, have a little bit of discrepancy um, of arousal and all these different things in our relationship. And then let's add in possible pain, um, uh, massive loss of sleep, body image, um, stress, disconnection, um, uh, other kids sleeping in your bed, co-sleeping, all the million things that could add into this that's going to continuously pile up on it. I mean, it's like, duh, of course <laughs> this is going to be challenging. And like, and like you said, it can show up before postpartum, right? There can, there's so much, I mean, we could be having a whole conversation about just intimacy and the challenges around that, right? And so on top of all of that though, everything that you just mentioned. And then, you know, another thing I would throw in there is birth trauma. Yes. Um, I mean, I know for my first, that experience was, my first birth was very traumatic. And it took me a while to really take steps to get support because I think I let pride get in the way. Sometimes us as therapists will do that. <laughs> but yes, we are human too. Um, but, you know, there were elements of that birth around um, feelings of shame around my body um, and what I thought that was supposed to be natural, what, what my body as a woman was supposed to be capable of doing and it didn't feel like it did it. Um, and powerlessness and gosh, I was scared. And those are libido killers, squashers. And, and on top of that, if you're breastfeeding, I mean, mm-hmm. if you're breastfeeding, it's, you know, nature's, you know, nature's birth control. Your body's like, oh, we're feeding another human. Let's dry everything up and squash your libido to make sure we don't have another baby right now because that'd be crazy, right? Like, let's not do that. And so it's it's so challenging. And I think that a lot of times couples are already feeling disconnected because there's just less time for each other. Like you mentioned, the adorable little third wheel that is a baby and child. Um, You're sleep deprived. You have less time and just margins to repair if you do have like a middle of the night, you know, scream match with each other about who knows what. And it's like, 
of course we're struggling. Like it just makes so much sense. But I think that a lot of couples think that a baby is going to bring them closer. You know, we've created this little human or we are now raising this little human if they were um, adoptive parents. We're raising this little human together and I hoped and imagined that we would be closer and I would just look at you and just fall more in love with you. Mm -hmm. And sometimes people can experience that and sometimes – a lot of times, more often than not, there's challenges there. And, if, and you know, intimacy isn't just about sex. There's emotional intimacy as well. And so if we're struggling to feel connected to each other, I mean, and we're also having all of these libido killers <laughs> showing up, like it's gonna, it's going to be hard. Um, but a lot of people don't talk about it. So we don't know yeah. that a lot of other couples are struggling with this as well. Yeah, I just, it's a reason why I think it's so important that we do this podcast is to normalize this experience because I think so often when we're comparing ourselves to this kind of fantasy of, okay, when we have a baby, things will get better, we'll feel closer. Uh, Or even when we get married, you know, we'll feel closer and like all the problems we have will just magically disappear. <laughs> and so when we're comparing ourselves to that, sometimes when we're in it, we we really struggle to be like, okay, wait, I, th- I thought it was supposed to be this one yeah. way. We almost mm-hmm. feel worse about what we're going through um, without having that space to normalize it and say, this makes so much sense that you're struggling with this. Yeah. yeah. And I think there's this other part that, you know, first of all, I'll say I'm going to make a generalization about, you know, the doctors you work with. But often the only education you get is right after that postpartum, like right after you deliver. And they're like, all right, we'll just don't have sex for six weeks. And so there's no conversation really about that, what sex might feel like in those, in those six weeks. What about, and the other thing is like, when you give that amount, sometimes partners get hooked onto that. Like, okay, like, all right. So in six weeks is when I can do it again. So I won't bother Mm -hmm. her for six weeks. It's like on the calendar. It's exactly right. And so it doesn't make it about, Hey, am I ready to be intimate? Mm -hmm. And one of the things I think it's really important to talk about an activity that we do when we do sex therapy is something we call a sexual scripting, which is what is, if we zoom out, what is the point of sex? Why are we doing this? And Mm -hmm. especially for a lot of people, especially if they were going through infertility issues, sex was about procreating. It was scheduled. It was timed. It was for purpose, right? And so then we're going to go back and you're not having sex to try to have a baby. So sometimes what can happen is, oh, sex starts being about just pleasing my partner. Mm -hmm. And we take pleasure focused away and we do it because one we want to cross it off a list we want to feel like we're being a good partner which is a lovely beautiful thing is what we call when a part when a couple gets into a nice off right it'll be so nice but it's actually not that nice um and so right so to zoom out to think to yourself what is the point of sex why am i doing this because it makes me feel connected to my partner because i enjoy the pleasure um because this is what my religious beliefs tell me right like if you grew up especially like in a lot of purity culture this is going to be confusing to go from procreation to pleasure and so Mm. these are all huge things to think about after and even during postpartum these are important conversations to say i might not be ready to have sex in six weeks and the other Mm -hmm. thing is sex might feel a little bit different but it should not be painful and i can't tell you how many people come in that have gone to their ob's and have talked about this and and their ob says just have a glass of wine beforehand oh 
Just have a drink. Just have a drink. That'll ease you up. That <laughs> is horrible <laughs> advice. So, right? And because what that tells you is, one, your pleasure is not that important. I do not think that you are worth the time and energy for me to send you and give you a referral to a physical therapist. We should all be getting, if you have the amazing chance to do pelvic floor physical therapy after birth, go for it. Unfortunately, often you need a referral. You need a script. It has to be approved. People don't even know about it. Or people don't even know it, right? When I talk to people about pelvic floor, they're like, what does that mean? My vagina isn't broken. That's what people say. Um, (laughs) And so these are all things of saying like, hey, like prioritizing that sex can be about pleasure for you as Mm. well. And then you actually don't resent your partner for doing it. (laughs) Oh my gosh. It's this, it, it can be a vicious cycle Right. Or this, what you're kind of describing here, this really connecting, powerful, beautiful cycle. Right. Okay. So, gosh. Okay. So many things here that you said that I was just like in my brain, like, okay, check, come back to it, check, come back to it. (laughs) So one of these pieces was, I love this sort of script. I love, I always, I I always talk to my clients about like stories in the narrative, right? Like what's the story and narrative around sex and intimacy um, for you. And and I love that you kind of said, let's zoom out and let's look at this in the context of the relationship. And then you you zoomed out further and you were talking here about, let's look at the ways in which sex and intimacy was discussed in your communities, whether that's the um, religious groups that you are connected to, religious communities that you are a part of, your family, um, culturally. I mean, patriarchy is thick. It's everywhere we go. I mean, the fact that, you know, at the six-week postpartum appointment, like the goal Wait, you've is- you've been through it. You've been through it. It's bullshit. <laughs> it's right? Anyone, it's like 30 seconds long, right? That baby has, right, you think about that baby. They have an appointment 24 hours, 48 hours, 72, depending on where the jaundice is at, right? Like we get one, six weeks. It is 30 seconds long. They put a quick finger up there and you're like, okay, go have that sex. Like it. what? That's they the entire thing. you for sex and exercise. It's like, yes. go get yes. your body back and yes. like- and, and, and sex. And here, yeah. and the thing is, is that like, I, I, I shared this actually in a post yesterday and somebody brought up, they're like, this smells like patriarchy. I'm like, you're smelling the same thing I'm smelling. <laughs> but, and then, and then somebody else came in and said, um, you know, but like, what if like, it's not, it's not just about like, what if sex isn't just about pleasuring your partner? Like, what if like, I want to have sex too. And I, and the doctor isn't talking to me about like my my experience and the pain I'm experiencing or how I can enjoy sex again. And I was like, yes. I mean, and all of this I think has roots in, in patriarchy, let's call that what it is, but it's, oh gosh, it's so infuriating that women or the, or, or birth partners or both partners are not getting more support around this. Cause you know, when I think back to my first postpartum experience, Um, my partner, my husband, he experienced postpartum depression and nobody was asking him how he was doing. Um, and luckily I was getting assessed. I was happy to see that, but nobody was checking in on him. If anything, they were looking at him and saying like, Hey, you stepping up and he's, you know, navigating the ways in which patriarchy has impacted him because he's, you know, feeling the pressure to provide, but also now to be a more present parent, he's struggling. 
men aren't supposed to show and express feelings, so don't you dare ask them about their feelings. Mm -hmm. And nobody was checking in on him. And that impacted his libido as well. So even though I was definitely not ready at six weeks, once I was, he wasn't. And Mm -hmm. it was like, wait a second, where are you at? You know, and it was a struggle on for so many different reasons. And there's so many different ways in which this can be a challenge for couples. You brought up here pleasure, like reclaiming pleasure, right? Like can pleasure be a part of intimacy and sex? And can you be postpartum and experience pleasure? I mean, this is, this is huge. And I'm so curious to hear your thoughts on how, how, how birth partners can begin to reclaim and women can begin to reclaim pleasure in their lives as it relates to sex and intimacy. Absolutely. (laughs) We just love to talk about women and pleasure. But I think, I think a big piece of it is, you know, really, you know, we really encourage like getting to know your body and after giving Mm -hmm. birth, you're getting to know your body again, right? You're getting to know what pleasure looks like for you again. And just as Emily said, you know, if you're struggling with infertility, that Mm. sex is very scheduled. Um, And so there's, there's such an idea around sex if you're struggling with infertility and, and it is scheduled that it's, it's, more about structure and it's more, you know, that the, it's so much less sexy and it's less about, okay, I'm owning my pleasure. It's like, we just have to get this done. And after giving birth, it's about rewriting that idea about what sex looks like and what your pleasure looks like and how you take ownership of that. And so we talk a lot about masturbation, right? And mm-hmm. getting to know your body through masturbation and through, um, just looking at yourself and, and getting comfortable with yourself, just reclaiming your body and understanding your body in a different way. Yeah. I think we're really quick to often with our postpartum bodies, we're really quick to want to cover them up. I want to put on the um, spandex and I want to wear the oversized tops and I want to hide this. Right. So when we talk about this idea, what Jen said about like getting to know your body and looking at it again, typically our only experience in that after postpartum is with body checking where we're like thinking like, Oh, look at these stretch marks and look at this role that wasn't there for like all this stuff. Right. Like we do it in a really negative way as opposed to, Hey, this is just my body. We talk mm-hmm. so much about like when a baby is born, so is a parent, right? Like when a baby is born, a mother is born and a father is born and you're these new people now. And so how do you get to re-know yourself and your partner? And one of those mm-hmm. ways, think about it, you talked a great, um, earlier Dr. Hassan, you had talked a little bit about breastfeeding, right? So when sometimes we're super touched out, right? I breastfed my daughter for two years. And honestly, she probably would have done it to 18 if I had left her. <laughs> I was like, you know, I would have to get her off the tip by the end. So, and so, yeah, there was a lot of times, maybe before my boobs were a really erogenous zone for me. And then they're not anymore because they're used for a different thing. I don't have the ability to go back between mothering and sexual partner. So maybe that part of my body then becomes off limits. So what I mean, I I will, I will, I will jump in and say I'm breastfeeding right now. And my husband had the audacity (laughs) the other day to walk by me and accidentally brush against my chest. Oh, no. And you know how that feels. I was like, right? oh, 
no and he was yes. like what <laughs> like yes. no yes. the like, audacity you know but i think one of the things that often happens for us is we're quick to tell our partner no but we don't tell them which areas are yes because right. we don't we learn them either because half the time we're busy focusing on how to work and how to sleep and how do i handle the other kids how do i keep well? a human alive? how do i keep a human alive right so like it's true we're not spending a ton of time re-getting to know ourselves and our new exotic areas maybe you find out my breasts are off limits but I really love my neck or I really love the mm -hmm. back of my thighs or those little different things. And my scalp, I, my scalp, yes, put your hand yes, on my scalp ooh, and I'm yes. yours. Right. How do I leave intentional time to explore pleasure? Most of this mm -hmm. were never done. This was yeah. really not a conversation that happens in most sex ed. If you grew up in a family, this was talked about hell yeah on your parents and caregivers. But for the majority of us, this is not the experience. And so yeah. we can get resentful and shameful about that as opposed to saying, okay, this anxiety I'm feeling around it or, or this rage I'm feeling around it or whatever it is, this is also giving me important information that we have to try something new. And so mm -hmm. how do I learn to be also flexible and adaptable in my sex life? Mm. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I am imagining right now somebody who's tuning in listening to this and the idea – like, so the word masturbation for – Words are powerful, right? And hold a lot of different meaning and context for people. And I'm thinking somebody might hear that and they're like, oh, whoa, I'm not like, I'm not ready for sex and I'm not ready for masturbation, maybe in the way in which they conceptualize masturbation in their yeah. mind, right? But what I hear you talking about here is about developing a, a, a relationship with your body that is intimate, that is knowing, that is tender, that is trusting that is curious. And so if some, like, you know, so when you say masturbation, like, what are we talking about here? Like, I, like, can, can we get kind of technical? <laughs> Real sexy yes. there, Cassidy. Like, let's get, yes. let's get technical. <laughs> like, what are we doing? Like, are we, you know, are we using dildos? Are we using vibrators? Are we penetrating ourselves? Are we, or are we just touching our bodies? Are we looking at our bodies? Is it only the sex organs? Like, what are we doing here? Okay. So we there's a few different things, right? So we can talk about self-exploration, right? So self-exploration is I set up a really um, safe, sensual place, right? So maybe my partner is out and the kids are down. And I'm like, you want to know what? I'm not ready for anything penetrative or I'm not ready for anything near my vulva. Um, but I, I would like to explore my body. So I would like to feel my legs and I would like to touch myself. And maybe I use um, an external vibrator on my own body. That doesn't even have to be near any place that we call it aka a bathing suit area i can use the um external vibrator especially like a, like a hitachi magic wand is a really great one to start with right so that i go through my toes and my feet mm -hmm. and i can explore all these different things there are other sexual and sensual parts of ourselves that is not just um specifically for people that have vaginas and vulvas that it's not just breast vagina and vulvas there's yeah. other part of ourselves there are some people that all of their pleasure is not from Pri aka private parts so self-exploration and guided self-exploration is one of the things you could do 
Now, there is always saying, okay, but maybe I am interested in having um, sex with myself, right? So what would that like? Once again, maybe I'm not ready for anything penetrative. I had a lot of birth trauma. I ha- I'm doing phys- um, pelvic physical therapy, something like that, that I'm doing, yeah. um, you know, pelvic rest, they call it. And so that's a great thing to say, like, okay, so like, what is clitoral play? Like, how do I really get to know my clitoris and see how I feel um, with pressure, with speed? And that can be done using my hands, using a pillow, um, using a sex toy or a different material, right? And so let's say like, okay, like that really works for me. That felt really good. Well, now maybe I'd like to go a little farther and I would like to try something penetrative because I am interested in having penetrative sex. So I am interested in doing this with my partner. We've decided this is something that's important to us. And that's when you slowly work through. The same thing if you were going to do is explore with anal play. You're going to start with one finger to two fingers and it's a slow process. We have been taught... Um, I can't tell you how many women have been taught to grin and bear it when the first time they have penetrative sex. Mm. It'll just hurt to just get over it. Mm. As opposed to, wait a second, let's just teach our partner to go slow. And, (laughs) right, the the vagina is is elastic. It, It can open and close and it can do all these amazing things, but we have to be gentle and kind and nurturing to it. But unfortunately, for most of us, our sexual education taught us to white knuckle it, grit and bear it, and just get through sex and it'll get better. And we have so many people doing it. But what that also creates is what we call as a negative feedback loop, which once you have painful sex, your mind is going to do exactly what it's trained to do, which is like, whoa, we don't like this. This hurts. You don't want this. Never doing it again. You just get resistant to it at that point. Exactly. And so that negative feedback loop is going to kill your desire and kill your arousal because if I put myself in an unsafe position of course my body and mind doesn't want me to be there right and we know how important communication is in order to have a pleasurable sexual relationship and you know as women we are not taught to own our pleasure and to express Mm -hmm. what's pleasurable for us And even after baby, as we're getting to know our bodies and we are really, you know, taking time with masturbation and figuring out what feels good for us, um, the more that we get to know that, the more we have the ability to communicate what feels good for us, what doesn't feel good for us during sex. And that's going to, because rebuilding that communication Mm. during sex is so, so important because it might be very different than what used to feel pleasurable for you. Absolutely. Okay. So I want to sort of revisit some of the key points that you guys have made here. So first, we we need to take a moment to kind of pause and honor everything that your body has been through and the context from which the story of your relationship with your body and intimacy and sex has developed and has evolved to where it is today. And that's going to take into consideration – Yes, your birth experience and yes, your relationship, but also so much more than that. Your history, right? Your childhood, how um, in your family, how intimacy was talked about, right? Um, What was, you know, what was modeled to you? And then from there, um, after we take time to honor all the context of our situation, you know, was there birth trauma? Like, am I experiencing pain? Do I need to get support around that? Do, is there shame around sex and intimacy for me? Um, why? Right. So there's a lot of work there that can be done. And then we're coming to a place of reclaiming our relationship with our body and 
putting pleasure in the front seat of that. And now I hear you kind of bringing in the partner component around communication um, and ways in which once you are able, once you know yourself and what brings you pleasure, now we're talking about communicating this to your partner. And so what are some things that partners, once we get there, right? And people listening might be like, okay, that's like way down the line, but (laughs) we want, we want, we want to, we want to show you what's possible, right? What could be happening in the future once you do get there um, at your pace and you you gently bring yourself to that place when you're ready for that. What could that look like between partners in terms of communicating these things to each other and and reclaiming their sex life? Absolutely. So if we talk about pleasure focused sex as opposed as opposed to goal directed sex, right? So typically we think about, okay, when we have sex, like the goal is that we're both going to orgasm. And of course in the movies, it's like, we're both going to orgasm at the exact same time. At the same time. And then we're going to be madly in love, right? And so like, so rarely does that happen, right? right? But if ever, ever, right? Um, But we, when we think about pleasure, pleasure directed, pleasure focused sex, um, we really think about making sure that you're in your own body during sex, right? Mm. To really be mindful and grounded. And that can be really hard, especially when you're struggling with body image, you're struggling with pain. And so- And I do want to quickly pop in and say, you know, if somebody was, if someone experienced trauma, whether it was from birth or- Before, right? Anytime in their life. And if you have found yourself during sex, like the only way that you can get through it is to leave your body. Um, That can be a huge sign and signal that more support is needed, right? To to reclaim your sense of being able to be having embodied, right, um, sexual experiences, to stay in your body, to feel safe, safe enough that you don't feel like you have to leave your body. to to have sex. And then from there, we can begin to reclaim pleasure. And so that can be a huge signal that more support is needed. And by support, I mean, you know, therapy, um, pelvic floor support, um, lots of healing can happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. And when we think about, you know, when we're, we're talking about sex, once again, we're not just talking about penetrative sex, we're talking about, um, you know, being able to feel each other's bodies, right? Like, being able to sit with each other and say, okay, you can touch me here and this feels good to me. You can touch me here. I want to see if this feels good to me. Oh no, that doesn't feel good. That like no longer feels good to really take your time with it, um, to be able to express to each other. This is something that's feeling really good for me right now. It's not feeling good for me. Um, so there's so many steps, you know, that, can happen and and that you know I say steps like you're leading up to something you don't even have to lead up to something right like sex yeah. can take so many different forms um one thing we like to do with a lot of clients is do a pleasure wheel where each client will write down what feels pleasurable to them once then once again this goes back to really knowing for you after baby what's feeling pleasurable for you so that you guys can come back together and communicate that to each other mm-hmm. um and to say, listen, this is feeling really good for me right now. Can we try this, right? Um, mm-hmm. I know that we used to do this and it no longer feels as good to me. Can we try this in a different way? Can we talk about awkwardness? Like, Yes. Can we just I talk think, about awkwardness? Yeah. 
Okay, that's great because the next thing I was going to say is that I know the number one thing people listening are going to say is like, we don't fucking talk like this. Right. Like, like this yeah. isn't how me and my partner talk at home. Like, you guys are sitting here talking like a bunch of therapists. So here, we'll take the psychobabble out of it. And so yes, when we talk yes. about this, is the biggest myth we have been sold is that sex and marriage are easy if it's quote unquote right. That is a lie. Yeah. Sex can be difficult and marriage can be difficult because you're you you said it perfectly earlier, Dr. Cassidy, which is like this is this is all the context, right? So if I'm unhappy at work, if I'm struggling with my um, child's behavior, if I'm just simply exhausted because I have a colicky baby, any of these things, that's going that's all the context that makes it more difficult. So that awkwardness is a combination of. I have a lot of tense feelings around this. I feel uncomfortable communicating about it. You and I have actually never really talked a lot about sex. And especially for those of us who always had maybe more regular, easy sex lives with our partners, maybe there wasn't a lot of communication about it because there didn't need to be. And then all of a sudden it's like, whoa, wait, how do we talk about this? So the awkwardness is that life is awkward. Hard conversations are awkward, right? It's how do I learn to hold the complexities and know that it doesn't have to be so sexy and organic for it to be good. Mm. Things don't have to be easy to be good. So when you think about that awkwardness, it's also like how do I have the distress tolerance to sit through that and still know that it's because of the outcome? And yeah, we are not going to lie. This shit's uncomfortable. It's incredibly uncomfortable. It's incredibly awkward. There is a lot of mixed feelings around it and a lot of tension and still um it's so necessary so important and I think one thing you know to ask yourself if you're if you're thinking okay I want to communicate this but this feels really uncomfortable for me ask yourself questions like what what am I worried about like am I worried that my partner's going to shame me um am I shaming myself for the things that I like Mm. or for wanting pleasure in this way um it's a way to dig into what might be bringing up that distress when you're thinking about communicating about sex with your partner. Mm. Yeah. And there's so, I mean, I'm thinking about, you know, couples that I've worked with before that have brought this up and, you know, it's awkward in the therapy room and it's awkward outside of the therapy room and you can feel the discomfort, but they are coming in and they're continuing to have the conversations because it's worth the vulnerability and it's worth the risk right? I think that vulnerability feels awful sometimes. <laughs> like it feels like you want to throw up. It feels like you want to escape. It feels like you, it feels, if you're truly being vulnerable, you know it because you feel it in your body. Yes. And having these conversations, doing this work is vulnerable. And I can feel like a risk, like you mentioned. Like, what if I bring this up and my partner laughs or my partner doesn't listen or my partner feels criticized and gets defensive or it just, it just falls flat. And, you know, I, I, then I was trying to be sexy and it just falls flat. Like it's risky. But one thing that I talk so much to, to my couples I work with about is like, yeah, this is a risk. But is this, is this a risk worth taking, right? And the thing is, is that our brain, fear and anxiety, sometimes doesn't necessarily do a great job at deciphering if something's like a meaningful risk or like a dangerous risk. And so mm-hmm. it'll jump in the driver's seat and it'll say, get out. <laughs> like, right. <All> you turn. <laughs> right. 
Yeah. But, but what we can do, what we can do is slow down enough to recognize when that those parts of ourselves show up and let those parts know, thank you for doing your job of trying to keep me safe here. But this is somebody that I do feel safe with. Um, this is a risk that's meaningful and worth taking. And so, you know, like something that like I'll talk to couples about and even me and my husband will do is like we will like name the awkwardness. It's like it's like in the it's like the third wheel. It's like, all right, here's awkwardness like and we'll laugh about it and we'll laugh together about it. And that's connecting just in honoring that it's there. And then we keep moving forward because it's a meaningful risk worth taking. And we are going to stumble. It's going to be awkward. And we're going to keep go. We're going to keep moving forward, though, um, because because of the whole, it, it's worth it. It's worth it at the end of the day. I mean, agreed. A hundred percent. And there's something else that you said I think was really important, which is you talk about, you know, just how scary it feels and the risk. And like, that's what all of that fourth trimester and postpartum feels like, right? Like already everything feels so shaky and so out of control and so unmanageable. So to sit here and say like, oh, what, I'm going to care about pleasure. And I think that's the thing is like people are like, my basic needs aren't being met. I'm not getting sleep and I'm not getting food. So like, why would I care about sex? And I would say back to that is, hey, listen, one, it doesn't have to be your main priority, but sex is one of those things like money where when we don't have it, it feels like the biggest deal. But when you do have it, you don't even think about it. And the other thing I would say is that you deserve good sex. We all deserve good pleasure and good sex. I truly, truly at my core believe that. Because we also know sex is good for you. It reduces stress. It reduces tension. It brings the oxytocin, right? Like there's all this actual benefits from sex, but not from bad sex. Mm. Sex mm. is not like pizza where even when it's bad, it's worth it. You know what I mean? Like one of those things, right? You're Depends. like, hey, sometimes you have some bad pizza, you know? Yeah, but if you put enough ranch on anything, it's <laughs> right, fine. Right. And so, <laughs> and so you have this thing, right? Where like bad sex isn't like that. So when I'm talking about bad sex, I mean, um, unfulfilling lack of quality sex right Mm. and so and there is sex that is like that and that can be more detrimental clients like you know people say that better sex is not about how often you have it but the quality of it when you do have it Mm. and so many I can't tell you how many women that come in they're like well I have sex with him once a week but I hate it but the whole time I'm thinking about the laundry or taking the dog for a walk right and like so you know you talked about like you know, dissociating when it comes to sexual te- to sexual violence and, and sexual assault. But there's yeah. also spectatoring where I'm not even my body and I don't even care and I'm just checking this off right. the list. Yeah. And oh, my talk- gosh. Yeah. <laughs> and we talk a lot about – we're talking a lot about pleasure during sex and quality sex. Um, but also to mention, like, quality sex can include just feeling connected to your partner, right? That it mm. isn't just about orgasm, yes, yeah. right? That it's about connection being in the moment. Um, and that's kind of when we talk about spectra- spectatoring and checking things off the list, we are not in the moment. We have a yeah. million other things yeah. on our mind and that is hard to do. And the last thing I want to say for all this is also like to keep in mind that, so if you have not read Emily Nagalski's Come As You Are, I'd highly recommend. Mm. It is a life-changing book, especially for probably women in postpartum. It's not specifically about postpartum, 
But I think because she talks about it in a educational, logical way, it, it's a great time for that. And one of the things that Emily Dugowski talks a ton about is that arousal precedes desire, that we don't walk around feeling desire all the time. Usually I'm walking around feeling exhausted, feeling hungry, feeling annoyed at my kid, Rachel, my husband, right? I got other emotions that are coming up. That does not mean, mean that you have no arousal. It means that we have to create intentional space for arousal to develop. And sometimes arousal comes after having safe, physical, arousing content, right? If I'm all day long watching um, Bluey and rocking some Cocoa Melon and, you know, all of these- Not the Cocoa Melon. (laughs) I know. And all of these things, none of that's sexy, right? If if, like I am with my kids all day and then I am doing the bills and I'm like doing all this other stuff, it's not sexy behavior, right? So like what else, what context am I putting in? Am I leaving room for arousal to even happen? Because Mm. no, it's not just going to happen at the end of the night because it's feeling good. At the end of the night, you're like, I'm so tired. I cannot keep my eyes open. All I'm thinking about is getting up to pump at 3 a.m. or doing that next thing. And so arousal precedes desire. It's so important. It's so important. I think what we often do is we wait, we sit around waiting for desire. Right. And then when it never comes, (laughs) coming. But, and then, and then we, we're not 15 anymore. We're and not, then we, not that same horny, but also go back to dry humping because that yes. is, that actually does give a lot of. And well. then, but then we question ourselves because I think that, you know, when we talk to so many women, they're like, what's wrong with me? Right? Like, why aren't mm. I having this spontaneous desire? Right? There's almost an expectation that we should be having this spontaneous desire. So that's why I think this is so, so important. We're like myth busters. Yes. Oh, I love this. This is so, so important. And you know what? A lot of times, for a lot of reasons, the people that will come into my therapy doors, initially, and this is one of the reasons why I love postpartum parenthood, is that people will come in because they're like, okay, this has been lingering around for, lingering around for a while, this whatever the problem or presenting issue is, but now I'm a parent and I don't want this. I don't want to pass this down to my children or I want them to not struggle with these same things or it's impacting my parenting. And so I'll often say, you know what, whatever got you in the door, great. And now that you're here, let's, we'll find a way to get to a place where you actually truly believe that you are deserving and worthy of healing outside of your identity as a parent and outside of your desire to support your children. But hey, I think that one thing that's so beautiful about postpartum is that the vulnerability that comes with it is that it almost kind of like breaks you apart and like leaves all the pieces on the floor. (laughs) And then you can start to put them back together in in a new way. And, you know, one of the things, and so I bring all this up to say that, you know, for your children, as you begin, you know, my, I have a nine-year-old and she is on the brink of puberty and on the brink of starting her period. Like it's happening, I think in the next six months. And, you know, we're having these conversations and I know that she is starting to explore her own body. And it's, it's so, beautiful to think that I have the opportunity here to allow her the opportunity to embrace pleasure and building this very pleasurable, loving relationship with her own body from the very beginning, right? So that she doesn't have to do all this unpack, all this like peeling away of these layers of these 
discourses and messages and shame and stigma later on down the line in her life. Um, and But I, I know, I notice that even for myself, as I bring these things up, that it's still mild stuff still shows up, you know? Yeah. And so I just think that for those who are listening, you know, gosh, if you're struggling to honor that like you are deserving of talk of listening to this episode, doing this work of embracing pleasure for yourself, I want you to ask yourself if if you want your your child, I know this is a weird thing, right? But like do you, your child is going to grow up one day and be a sexual human being. And without sex aside, do you want them to love their body? Do you want them to feel comfortable in their body? Do you want them to, in life in general, feel like they're deserving of pleasure? Like, yeah, probably, right? And so we got to do this work for ourselves so that we can raise the next generation of girls, boys, all of the, all of our children um, to be able to love their bodies and embrace pleasure and feel like they are worthy of experiencing pleasure. I'll tell you a story that like I feel like is, you know, it's so important what you're talking about, Dr. Cassidy, is because you're talking about like it's got to start at home. It's got to start within your family because the the pervasive messages in society are so loud and they're so consistent. So, um, you know, when you're pregnant, you're shopping for pediatricians, right? So you go and you meet these pediatricians and, you know, a lot of times they have these little meet and greets. This is pre-COVID. I'm sure it's virtual now. And um, when we, me and my husband were looking for a pediatrician, we found this great practice. We had heard wonderful things about them and they're like oh does anyone have any questions and like my husband who like has to ask a question every time it's like such an engineer like (laughs) I need to do it right and he was like oh well what test do you do in office I was like what like he was like oh is there a lab like what test and she was like oh we'll do strep and then pregnancy test this is like what how the doctor responded and this other a male who was the head of the practice responds back and cuts her off and is like these people don't want to ever think about their kids having sex and I was like all right and, wow. and so I, of course, being incredibly annoying, um, stand up and say, I'm actually very interested in hearing about what is your beliefs of, you know, getting birth control and conversations with STI. And if you're the pediatrician that's going to be with my child from birth to 18, I want to know that they can come in here and talk about sex. Mm. That does matter to me. That does matter into how I want my child to be raised in this world. But even right then, before my child was born, there was sexual shame. And mm-hmm. this idea that as a parent, we shouldn't want to know about this. We shouldn't care about this. It feels uncomfortable to think about my child masturbating. It feels uncomfortable to think about my kid having sex. But these are humans. Your child yeah. is not just an extension of yourself. Your child is just a tiny human. And so yeah. if we get them, it's also preventative. To teach women about their bodies, about what's good sexual pleasure, means that they're going to be able to indicate negative sexual behavior yeah it also means that when we talk about that fright that fight flight freeze and fawn so many women go to freeze because they have not had experiences of saying whoa whoa whoa, my body this i don't think this is what my body's supposed to feel like this is wrong and Mm. so think about it all as who would you want for yourself and if you think about if if your parents the favorite thing to talk about is if your parents had the best possible parents for them how would your parents have parented you differently And a lot of that is, you always hear people say, I wish my mother was more confident. I wish my dad was around more, right? Let's be who we wish that we had. And if you had an experience of growing up around a ton of sexual shame, let's break that cycle. You can do it here now. Oh, my gosh. Period. Exclamation mark. (laughs) Mic drop it. Our one word. 
Mic dropped. We but can't that's drop not dropping. <laughs> no, we can't. <laughs> we can't hear. Not while we're recording. But oh my gosh, this! I hope that every every single person <laughs> listens to this episode. This is so powerful. Um, and Jen, thank you so much for taking the time to come on and have this conversation with me today. Where can people find you? Because I imagine after listening here, they're going to want to go find you. <laughs> You can find us um, at the therapy group on Instagram, at Shrink Chicks on Instagram. If you want to see one of our clinicians, you can reach out to us at thetherapygroup.com. And you also have a podcast. We do. So oh, right. Oh, yeah. You, you can listen to us. You oh, can yeah. listen oh, to yeah, our podcast. Oh, yeah, the podcast. <laughs> Yes. Oh yeah, that is a thing we do. There. Yeah, you can check us out. Shrink Chicks on uh, podcast on uh, Apple Podcast, Spotify, any place where you find all your the podcasts. things. Right, um, Shrink Chicks. You can check us out. We are we are mildly entertaining and very informative. Yeah, I I I will back that up. And hey, girls, I'm here for you. When you when you don't want to market your own podcast, I'll come on and be like, hey, we, remember you have a podcast. We appreciate that. We forgot about it. I, I got your back. I got your back. I will link um, some of the resources that you mentioned, the book that you mentioned, as well as um, where people can find you here at on the show notes. So people can listening, tuning in, head straight over there to follow them, to subscribe. Thank you so much, ladies, for coming on. This was a pleasure. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Holding Space Podcast. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you did, you might want to hit that subscribe button to be the first to hear when new episodes air. Looking for more support? I teamed up with a board-certified OB-JYN to bring you two e-courses for expecting and postpartum parents. Head over to the show notes to learn more. Thank you so much for inviting me into part of your day today. I'm so grateful, and I hope you have a beautiful, wonderful rest of your day.